Turn your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 1 as we uh, again look at another small chunk here. And it's going to take us a while to get through the book of Ephesians because it is full of wealth and we don't want to miss any of it. Title this morning is Signed, Sealed, Delivered, I'm Yours. I don't know, most of you are... You know, you were probably, yeah, the 1970s. Matter of fact, Stevie Wonder, yeah, Rick's back there dancing. <laughs> Stevie Wonder took that song to the top of the charts in 1970. He was 20 years old at the time, and uh, our current president used it in both of his election runs as basically his theme song, and I doubt that's not what we're talking about this morning. But uh, it, it, it is one of those things when we look at it, as God's children, sometimes I think one of the, the chief areas that the enemy is able to just work in our lives is causing us to somehow think or believe that, that God really doesn't want us, that, that he's kind of on edge a little bit, or maybe if we do the wrong thing that he's just waiting to get rid of us, you know, that we're, we're just not secure in that place. Uh, that we have of grace. And this passage this morning, as we'll pick up, we'll look once more at verse 8 and then uh, continue down to verse 14 this morning. But we are, we're sealed, we're signed for. We have been delivered by the blood of the Lamb. So we are signed, sealed, delivered, and we're His. Amen? We, we are that group of people, and we need to know that and live in it. Because if you don't, you walk often in defeat. There's this constant roller coaster of our walks with the Lord, and we're up here one day and we're down here the next, and we're saved one day and we think we're damned the next. You know, it's just, I know you guys don't ever go through that, but I, I can tell you at times in my walk, it's like, Lord, why would you want me? And the good news is that before the foundation of the world, as we've already seen, He chose us, and He selected us, and He loves us, and He wants you. You're not an, an off-cast. You're not an outcast. You, you aren't the, the remnant and, and just kind of what was left of God's creation. From God's perspective, you're His precious, chosen children whom He sent Jesus into the world to die for and whom He has sealed by the Holy Spirit. He's promised us that amazing life that we will have uh, both now and eternally. And it only gets better. You know, we think about our lives here on earth. There's a lot of things to be thankful for. Amen? Amen. We do. We have a lot of things to be thankful for. We have difficulties. We go through things. But we have a lot of things to be thankful for while we're here. And it only gets better. And so this morning, signed, sealed, and delivered. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. God, I thank you that I'm yours. We're yours, that we can echo with the Apostle Paul as he writes this letter from prison of all places, uh, that we are in you and you are in us, and you've made that secure guarantee of our salvation. And so, Lord, as we think on these verses and pray over them and study them, uh, would you instruct us as your kids? Would you, would you love on us this morning, Lord? Help us to know you better as we, as we read these words and take them to heart. Uh, would we be blessed and would we be filled, Lord? We invite your Holy Spirit to come and inhabit this place, our lives, and to instruct us through the power uh, that is in the Spirit. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
And it says there, really in in verse 9, but verse 8 it says, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Remember from last week what that means? Just bathed, showered upon, dunked in, inescapably uh, heaped upon, that, that God has heaped upon us the riches of his grace with all wisdom and understanding. And so when God places his blessings in our lives, he doesn't just kind of dole them out. Now, you, you know, a lot of times, and we who are parents, but probably most people can understand this analogy, you know, when, when you have that one treat that you really relish, like for me, it's the sacred can of almond roca. And they're the sacred can of almond roca. It, it inhabits the holy place on the counter there beside the microwave. And as you go over to that and you open it up, you kind of are stingy with them. Someone else wants one and you open it up. Okay, you can have one. And you open it and you make sure they only take one, right? You know, and you kind of look at them with a little bit of disdain because they took your almond roca. And, and as they open that can and they gaze into it, you can kind of see your your riches in there, amen? And, and, and you, you're not really wanting to share that with just anyone and everyone. You kind of want it to, it's yours. It's mine. God's not like that. He opens the can of almond roca and he throws the whole can at you. He says, catch. And you go like this, and they're like in your lap, and you go into a sugar coma. If you're lavished on, he's not holding back. He doesn't, okay, well, you can have one. He gives you the whole can, and if that's not enough, he goes and gets another one, and another one, and another one. And he just lavishes on us this grace that has come from the finished work of Jesus Christ. This unmerited favor and blessing that heaps upon us. And he does that with two things that we saw last time. Wisdom and understanding. Wisdom is the ability to use knowledge correctly or rightly. And understanding is to discern the intent of the information. And so when you think of those things, they're always bookends. And so God says, I want you to know and I want you to use it correctly. I want you to fully understand and I want you to apply it is another way to look at it. And so why would God tell us that? Because he says, here, I'm going to dump on you the riches of grace and you're going to have all these blessings and now go forth and use them. Don't keep them to yourself. Share them with other people. Make sure that other people know how much I love them too because I love them as much as I love you. And so we pick up now in verse 9 and I'm going to look down to verse 14 this morning and it says here, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. It wasn't something that somebody had, please get this, God did not need to be convinced to lavish upon us the riches of grace. There wasn't a meeting in heaven and the corporate headquarters there in heaven, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit got together and they discussed humanity. And the Holy Spirit's going, man, this is a tough deal. These guys are wayward. 
And Jesus is going, well, they're going to kill me. And God's going, well, I created two of them and they blew it. You, you see, God didn't have to be convinced to heap upon us. As you look at this, He purposed it for Himself to do this. That's how much He loves you. In other words, in spite of your wickedness, in spite of your waywardness, in spite of your unusefulness, in spite of the fact that you're not exactly a bargain to God, he purposed to heap upon you in and of him his own self because he loves you that much. This is a God that loves us. This isn't a God who's looking down from heaven as so many believe, waiting for the eternal barbecue flame to be hot enough to roast you. God looks from heaven and he says, These are my beloved children, and I want to lavish upon them in grace blessing." And of course, he wants us to respond properly to these things. But his heart is grace. His desire is to heap upon you his loving grace. He loves us. And it doesn't disturb him to love us. It doesn't put him off. It's not off-putting to God. You probably all have people in your life when you think about them, man, it's hard to love them. Amen? And you're just like, ooh, it's, you see that person coming and you're just like, maybe I can be busy doing something else. God doesn't ever think of us that way. He doesn't see you coming, knowing how wicked you are. Because in your heart, there's some, there's some not good things there, amen? Say amen. I don't want to have to call you liars already. Because there's things in there that are not good. And God knows those things, and yet He still wants to lavish on you grace. We need to see the riches that we have heaped upon us. And He goes on, that in the dispensation, and that word, don't let it confuse you, it simply means economy. In the dispensation, in the economy of the fullness of the times. In other words, when we think of economy, we think of monetary principles and gross domestic product and, you know, debt and all those kinds of things. It's relatively applicable spiritually. You can look at it this way. In, in God's economy, when He's actually done, you see, when we look at our economy, our economy's done. Amen? We look at it and we go, mm, that's not good. From God's economy, he looks at the end result. In other words, he knows the beginning and he knows the end. And from God's economy, this dispensation that one day is going to be complete. Right now it's not totally complete. Amen? We live in the age of grace. There's going to be an end to the age of grace. And there will be a kingdom that comes after this. In God's economy, you see, he sees the end. He understands what it is. And so what he says to us is that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times that he might gather together in one all things in Christ. You realize there's exactly one church. We're going to get that in chapter 4. There's one church. There's actually one economy as far as God's concerned. Right now it's kind of divided up. We have these sectors. We have the heavenly sector. We have the earthly sector. We're the poor performing stepchild, okay? We're just not doing all that well. 
We're, we're kind of down here. We kind of biff it. We blow it. Our returns are kind of meager at times. Heaven, it's a little bit better. But one day in a single economy, God will gather all things together in Christ. You all know when this is. It's called the millennial reign of Christ. That eventually God's going to rectify He's going to make all these problems disappear. He's going to solve the sin issue. He's going to solve the death issue once and for all. Right now, this economy is growing in the dispensation of grace, in the economy of grace. One day he's going to complete it. And so he tells us how wealthy we are, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Notice there's one place missing there. When we think of the universe, we think of heaven, we think of earth, and we think of that which is under the earth. Amen? Because there are people there, too. He can't gather them together in that final economy because they're lost. And so he says, all believers of all time, I will eventually gather together in this glorious thing called the kingdom age. For in him we have obtained an inheritance. So now he starts talking about we're actually going to get it. Right now, that inheritance is yet future, amen? Can a baby use its inheritance? The answer is no. You have to wait until you're of legal age, and then you're allowed to have that inheritance. Maybe it's kept in trust. Right now, because we're not fully ready, we don't get the whole inheritance. We're kind of in that infantile state of growth in the age of grace. And But one day, we're going to get the whole enchilada. You're going to wake up fully like him. Amen? Right now, every once in a while, I don't wake up like him. I, I wake up kind of not like him. Every once in a while, I don't talk like him. One day, I will always talk like him. Right now, I don't always act like him. One day, I will always act like him. You see, the fullness of that time of the age of grace enables us to receive the whole inheritance. Right now, we couldn't handle it. If we got the whole inheritance, we would do what most kids do with the inheritance. We'd squander it. Amen? We'd be buying new cars that we don't need and going on long extended vacations and kind of dumb things that kids do. And so God says, in the proper time, I'm going to give the full inheritance to my kids. Hasn't happened yet. Being predestined according to the notice purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Sometimes we don't see this in our lives. But God is at work performing the counsel of his will. You see, right now, we kind of resist some of those parts. Amen? I was talking a little earlier this morning. One of the things that you have to be very careful about praying for is patience. Amen? Especially if you're a guy. Praying for patience. Or another one, humility. Lord, make me humble. For to know me is to love me. Because I get more perfect every day. You know, it's hard to it's hard to pray for humility at times because we have the wrong view even of ourselves at times. But you see, at this time... He has an end game. You can look at it that way. It's the easiest way to understand this. The perfect will of God is what's in view. And that includes the perfect you and the perfect me and the perfect church and the perfect world and the perfect heaven. And we're not there yet. But make no mistake, from God's perspective, 
in God's economy, there is an end to this which we are in right now, the age of grace. And it ends really well for us. Amen? That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. For in Him you have also trusted. And he makes a distinction here between those who were of the Jewish faith, who in faith waited for Messiah, and and are going to be seen in heaven. When you get there, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Benjamin, uh, you're going to get to talk to Moses and and all of these Old Testament saints who waited in faith for the finished work of Jesus Christ. And, And so Paul identifies with his own people, the Jews, and he said, also to you, notice this, And in him you also trusted after you heard the word of faith, the gospel of your salvation, the good news. That word gospel actually literally translated means God's spell. It is the good news. But it is a spell, if you will, cast by God on mankind that causes us to receive that plan of salvation. It's presented to us in such a way that we become enamored with God's plan. We go, you love me? That much? You see, it becomes the good news that is that God saying how much He loves us. Because if God didn't tell us He loved us, how many of us do you think would ever come to Him? If you just understood that God was holy and righteous, how many people do you think would ever come to Christ? It's what the law did. The law helped us to understand that God was holy and righteous. Amen? But people couldn't get saved by the law because it always left you short of that goal. It just made you miserable. It helped you understand exactly how far you fell. It took grace. It took love. It took God's abiding kindness over millennia. Shed abroad in our hearts like, oh man, God loves me in spite of me. God loves me with my faults and weaknesses. He doesn't foreordain those. He simply knows we have them. And he says, you know what, I'd love you anyway. You see, understanding sin is only part of the equation. You must understand the love of God. You have to get that. God loves you. And he saves us. That's the good news. He doesn't save us because we're just simply poor, miserable, blind, and wretched. He loves us. You see, we heard the gospel message which led to our salvation, in whom also having believed, and notice this, this verbiage is only found here in the book of Ephesus and in the book of the two Corinthian letters. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise and to the glory of God, is actually the way it's rendered. Here's what we need to understand, family of God. I think there's a reason, and it's an interesting reason, that Paul only uses this vision of this guarantee Uh, We can look at it as kind of put on layaway. That's one of the best ways to look at it. In other words, when you go down and you can't, in, in our case, we can't actually afford to pay for something maybe today, we go and we put a deposit on it, right? And it's held in layaway. And then finally you go down, you make the last payment, you get to take it home. 
In essence, in our spiritual lives, that's rather what's happened to you in Christ. Sufficient deposit has been made to make you holy and righteous right now by Christ Jesus. His shed blood frees you from sin. It takes care of the penalty for your life so that you one day can be saved. But you haven't been fully brought into the presence of the Lord. The deposit of the Holy Spirit has been made on your life. And the reason that this example is actually used here, and I believe exclusively in the book of Ephesians and also in First and Second Corinthians, is this. You don't think about it too much, but there were a lot of things made out of wood during that time, specifically ships and those types of things, not so much houses. They were generally made out of mud bricks and a few other substances, but uh, there was a lot of wood used specifically in shipbuilding. Corinth and Ephesus were major logging centers of the old world. And so what would happen is there would be logging that would go on along the northern coast of the Black Sea. Those rafts of logs would be brought through the Bosphorus out of the Black Sea, and they would be brought to port in both Ephesus and Corinth. And in Ephesus and Corinth, those who would make things out of logs would be in those two cities. They would go down to that raft of logs, and they would take an axe, and they would chop into the log their sign. And so it might be a Roman numeral. Maybe it was an identifying you know, couple of hash marks. But it was a way that the owner of those logs could identify, I want that tree. And then what would happen is those logs would stay in the water, sometimes for a year or more, and in doing so, they would then soak up all that water, and then ultimately, as they pulled them out to dry, they would become much harder and much denser. They were actually prepared by being left in the water. But they were not owned by the person who claimed them until they were taken out of the water. You guys are kind of in the water right now, and so am I. We've been marked. We're floating around in the sea, and one day the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to take your log out of that raft of logs, and he sealed you with the mark. It's the Holy Spirit, and he's going to pull you up, and he's going to put you on shore, and he's going to fashion you in to that kingdom being that you will be for the rest of eternity. Right now, you're still kind of soaking up the water, getting prepared. You you see, as we look at this passage of Scripture, it just takes us to this place of, of understanding the amazing love of the Lord. And notice how it begins here in verse 9. It says it's a mystery. And in the Hellenistic Greek that was spoken at that time, there were two basic meanings for mystery. And one was a secret that could not be known. In other words, it was something that was just beyond us understanding it. You know, like plasma physics. Mystery to most of us. If you understand it, your brain is much larger than mine. I I don't get it. I kind of know some of the little parts and pieces. That would be a mystery to most of us. It's something we just simply can't know. But there's another use of mystery. And, And it describes those things which need to be revealed. And that is the usage here in this passage. There are things that simply need to be revealed. They're they're not totally known to us. They're in view. But as God shares with us the component parts and pieces in understanding and wisdom, we get enough of the picture that we go, aha, that's what it is. And that's what's being said here. 
God gives us enough understanding and wisdom about the purpose for which he has saved us that we go, God loves me, and he wants to use me, and he's marked me, and I am one of his kids, and I have a divine purpose which is actually eternal. You know why I'm so excited about the book of Ephesians. And this is richness for us. This lets us know who we are in Christ. And I want to really encourage you, if you have not figured out by now that God did not choose you to to just simply leave you floating in a raft of logs in the sea somewhere, but He chose you because He knows what He wants to make out of you. You see, if I was that person who came to that raft of logs and I looked at these logs, one of the things that I'm looking for is the grain and I'm looking for the straightness of it. I'm looking for the length and the girth. And each one, as I look at it, I say, you know what? I can make a table out of that one. I can make a boat out of this one. I can make a a manger out of that one. And out of the pieces of this end over here, I'm going to make a chariot. You see, in my mind's eye, I see past the roughness of the log. I see past the fact that it's in this mass of other logs. As someone with that skill, his skill, I see the end result of what that log is going to become. That's how God sees you. That's how God sees me. You see, he doesn't see all the bark and the limbs. He he doesn't see the fact that, man, I weigh a ton and I'm floating in the ocean. He sees what he will one day make out of us. He, He sees that beautiful table. He sees that chair that's a blessing to that family. That's how God sees us. And so... For you, you're looking around, and all you see is a pile of logs, amen? We look at each other, and there's a log. (laughs) Not God. You see, he's revealing that mystery. The mystery is, he knows what he's going to do, and he knows how he's going to do it. And all of a sudden, that little piece of that puzzle goes on. All of a sudden, I'm just going, man, I get a little bit of it now. And so he reveals that mystery to us. And he wants to make known. It ties into our election. You, you see, when, when we finally exit this planet, when we head home to heaven, and whether that you take your last breath or you're raptured, uh, you're, you're going to be immediately transformed. And then you're going to come back with the Lord. And you're going to be here with Him for a thousand years. You see, He's looking forward to that time. He's looking forward to the end product. You know, sometimes I watch my wife sew. Some of you have been the recipient of her blessing. As I watch her do that, and she grabs a bolt of fabric, and we're walking through the store, and yes, I get in touch with my feminine side. I feel the fabric. Wow, that's nice. I look at the bolt of fabric and I get an instantaneous headache. Why? Because all I see is the work. 
I see the stitching, I see the hunching over, I see the button, I see everything that she does, and I go, I can't do that. You, you see, that's why God doesn't share everything he's going to do with us all at once, because if he did, you'd get overwhelmed just like I do when I look at fabric. I'm not even starting. Just going to stay, should have stayed hair on an alpaca somewhere. But not God. God sees the finished product. He sees that beautiful wedding gown. Or he sees that coat. He sees what you will one day be when you're finished. That's what he sees. And he looks at you and goes, man, I can't wait for that day. Verse 10, and it says in the New International, to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment. In other words, it gives us a a real picture of what's going on here. These things will be put into full effect when God's actually done with his plan for mankind. Right now, we're kind of like that garment that's half made. We're, we're like that log that's been to the mill and sawn into blanks. We're, we're, we're kind of that half-constructed home. For those of you who have had that experience, and you, maybe you get to watch a house go up, and you look at it, and you go, man, it's like it's never going to get done. It stays studs forever, and you go and you look at it, and it's like, oh, the floor's not, and you just, it's overwhelming. God sees the finished home. He sees the finished furniture. He sees the finished coat. He sees the flowers arranged in the arrangement. He doesn't just see the flowers. You see, he sees the finished product. When the times have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and in earth together under one head, even in that head which is Christ. You you see, that's how God sees you. That's why when he looks at it, he goes, I want to lavish on them. You see, there's something that happens whenever you start a project. You have to continually invest in that project the necessary things to see it to fruition. Amen? You can't just grab the bolt of fabric or the pile of lumber and you throw it into the garage and then mystically you come back and, whoop, it's done. Doesn't happen. Amen? Doesn't happen in your life spiritually either. There's work that goes along with getting to that place. And there's a little shaving here and a little sawing there and a little sewing here and a little darning over here and a little knitting over here. I'm trying to use some female examples. I've been told I need to do that every once in a while. I can think that way. It's hard for me. And then there's a knife blade that's forged over there. I've got to get back to my my roots. But you, you see, from God's perspective, he sees that beautiful finished product. He doesn't see the process. He's not put off by the process. To you and I, it's, man, I don't think I'll ever get over that thing. Man, I've been struggling with that for my whole life. When will that edge ever get sanded down? If you've ever done body work, back to the guy thing, and and, and you get out that block plane and you're sanding down the side of a car, Every little tiny wrinkle and detail stands out like no tomorrow. And you sand and you sand and you sand and you go back and then you gotta put more bondo on it. And then you sand and you sand and then you took too much off over here. That's kinda how we are. 
We're in that process of being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And God's at work in our lives. And there's some sanding over here and some priming over there and some painting over there. And there's some cutting out of the pattern and then of the fabric and then the assembling of the pieces and then the edge bonding and the backing and the stuffing and all those things have to be added, but they must be done at the proper time. Amen? Whether you're building a coat or whether you're building a house, you can't pour the foundation last. Amen? The foundation goes in first. If you're building a coat, you can't put the buttonholes on the fabric before you cut it out. Amen? You ladies can say amen. I know that much. I don't know that much, but I know that much. You don't put the buttonholes in and then try and put the pattern around the buttonholes so they end up in the right place doesn't work that way. It has to be in its time. And that's what the Lord's saying to us. He's going to do this, all things in heaven and on earth, under one head, eventually in Christ. And all of a sudden, it's all going to make sense. Notice what he does here. And it's interesting that the word that's translated times here, very important, is not the Greek word chronos, which we would use as we get chronography from or chronograph. It's that time, in other words, a time and date. He uses the word kairos, and kairos always means the end times. He, he says in the very last days, it's all going to really make its final sense. Until then, there's a little bit of mystery that's being revealed, and it's in each one of us. God's using Ruth, and God's using me, and God's using Eugene. And, and as, we, as we look around, we, we go, man, that's a log that's being shaped. That's a piece of fabric being cut out. This is all happening so that at the end, when it all comes to fruition, everything here on earth and everything in heaven, we're going to go, that's what he meant. And the cool thing is it includes all of creation. Uh, just so you know, your Bible declares that the world has been under the subjectivity, if you will, of death and sin and decay. The very first chapter of the book of Romans paints this picture, and he goes on to say that, in fact, all of creation itself groans. You realize that one day God's going to even square away that? The greenest guy in the universe is God. And he doesn't need compact light bulbs to do it. He's going to actually redeem the entire universe back to what He fully intended it to be. There will be no more death, no more pain, no more disease, no more sickness, no more smog, no more depleted ozone layer, no global warming, no climate change. From God's perspective, He's redeeming heaven and earth and everything on it and in it. This includes the angels, by the way. Because the angels themselves are actually learning a lesson from us. They're looking at, oh, you're using him? Can you imagine Michael, the archangel, looking down from heaven at us going, really? Are you kidding? Jeff? Come on now. I mean, you know, Fred the under angel over here would be better than that. But God uses us, and He works in us, and He shapes us, and molds us, and cuts us out. It's awesome. And it's a happy ending. That's the glorious thing. That's why the gospel is so important. 
Because anyone who wants to be can be part of that glorious end. All you got to do is receive and believe. And start getting whittled on. You know, as in, we built the camp and took a group to Fort Collins, Colorado in the dead of winter to build some log trusses. And one of the things that Pastor Chuck wanted to do was make sure that they looked like the real deal. So we had to hand peel um, these huge 60 to 80 foot long trees. And they're trees. They're 24 inches around at one end, maybe 18 at the other, and use these draw knives. They're actually a two handles on them, have a flat blade in the center, and you peel all the bark off with the draw knife. You know, you start looking at that log, and it, it's like there is no way in the world all that bark's coming off that tree. But you got to start someplace. And as you get part way down it, you realize, hey, you know, I can, I can make it. You see a lot of us look at ourselves like, man, we're just covered with bark. And it all needs to come off. We only see the process. God sees the proposal. We see the process. God sees the proposal, the finished work. He looks at us, God, it'll happen. We look at it and go, when? Amen. Boy, and after a while, you, you get down to like, we got down to like the 30th log, and there's five of us working on this, and it is 50 below zero outside. So cold that as we're using chainsaws, there's actually ice coming out of the back of the cutting bar. It's piling up because there's water in the wood, and it's just like freezing into a wood snow cone. And you're going, now I don't want to do this. But you can go look at those log trusses today. You just got to see the process through. It's a lot of work at times. You just got to submit yourself to saying, you know what, Lord, you know what you're doing. You know how to build this. Work on me. Cut on me. Chew on me. Drill holes in me. Do whatever you got to do. God, sew me here. Edge me in there. Back me. Do whatever you got to do, God. Because I want to be part of that final kingdom solution to all of this that is that glorious kingdom that will never end. And he says in verse 11, For in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In other words, when you look at this from God's perspective, he's got the whole plan. When we look at things, we just look at the problems. God looks at the plan. We see the process. God looks at the plan. He goes, I know where this all goes. And so he takes each one of us and puts us in that proper place in his plan. And then as he works on us individually, we all get assembled together into this wonderful thing called the body of Christ that one day he will lump together into this wonderful thing called the kingdom age. Right now, we're all works in process. We're parts that are being worked on. And so God says to us as he, as he chooses each one of us for each one of these parts, you know, when you look at things, and, and in our modern cars, and I'm using lots of analogies to help you understand this. And you look at our modern cars, I mean, you lift up the hood and you just you throw your hands in the air and just go, no. There's no way I'm working on that. I, I grew up in a day and time where you could lift up the hood, you could get inside with the motor, and there was like four parts on, you know, carburetor, water pump, engine block, spark plug wires. Pull the spark plugs out and you put them back. You know, you could do everything yourself. As as things have gotten more complex, 
It's almost impossible to work on those things. You see, that's because we don't have the whole plan. I look at that motor, I kind of understand in a general sense what an internal combustion engine does. But I don't understand what these new engines do, so I look at them and go, what is that electronic thing over there with the light that's blinking? It's got a code on it. It says 2412. That doesn't make any sense. That's kind of how we are as the body of Christ. It is so complex that you can't know the whole thing. To a lot of what God does, it still remains to us a mystery. I don't understand why he uses me. I don't understand why he uses Joe. I don't get it. I don't know why Daryl's in that place that he's in. I just know that God knows which part goes where. Amen? Amen. It's like lifting up the car. And the mechanic comes to you and he says it's going to be $800,000. And it's a chip. Don't they always tell you it's a chip? It's a chip. You're missing the chip. Come on, like, well, my name is Chip. Can I just get in there? You, you, you see, to us, we're, we're like we're so lost that when the mechanic comes and says, "Well, we need a chip," we're like, "What's a chip?" From God's perspective, He looks, He knows where every part goes. He knows every nut, bolt, screw, and chip. Amen. Or chip et. Want to stay correct here? We're just all parts of it. And so what he does here in this marvelous passage, he says, And you also, in verse 13, were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. So you have your part in all of this. You're included in the gathered together heaven and earth in Christ. You have your part, and only you can play your part. This is awesome stuff. That means your uniqueness is wonderful to God. Because nobody else can be you. You have to be you. It makes your uniqueness very valuable to God. And so he says, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, promised by the Holy Spirit. In other words, there's the raft of logs. You're that log. You get marked. You have your part. You're going to be a chair. And I'm going to be a feed trough. I don't know. But you have your place, and I have mine. And yours isn't mine, and mine isn't yours, and it doesn't need to be. But you know what? We need feed troughs, and we need chairs. And we need chariots. And we need bows and arrows and axe handles. You see, we need all of it. Without it, life as we know it wouldn't continue. Now blow it out just a little further. There is a heavenly purpose to absolutely every one of you. And so God lavishes upon us His riches. And and He says, you know what? I absolutely want Cece to play this part, and I'm going to give her that part. And Marianne, she's got this part. You see, Lee has this one. And and as I I look at this, I'm in, in love with my parts. I want this part to be... Perfect, because this part can only do this job. Hallelujah. Because that means no matter what you are, no matter what you'll become, no matter who you are, no matter what gifts you have or don't have, your part is still important. And so he seals you with the Holy Spirit. That's the mark that's on us. That work that works in you to will and to do that which is God's good pleasure. It's that proof. It's that guarantee. And we can use all kinds of analogies here. 
In that period of time, a seal was also a signet ring or a wax seal. It could be done with clay, a clay bula. The owner of something would seal that thing up, place wax on it, stick the ring in it. It was sealed. It was marked. It was, this is mine. But it also was a sign of a contract. And I want to finish with this this morning. You you see, when God said yes to you being part of the raft of logs and he etched you or he put the wax signet ring on you or he promised you to be part of his kingdom and his plan and his purpose, when he did that, he made a contract which is irrevocable. From his position, he looks at you and he says, it will happen. It's a foregone conclusion that this will be finished. You will one day be exactly what I've designed for you to be. That day's coming. And that's why this is so wonderful. When I look at my life, a lot of times all I see is my faults and defects. I don't know if anybody else does that. But I'm pretty hard on myself occasionally. Oh, Lord, if I just did this or done that or hadn't done this or hadn't done that. But from God's perspective, when he sealed you, he already knew all that stuff. And he looks from one end to the other and says, I see the finished product. I see what you will become. I understand that. And thereby I make a contract with you. The word that's used here, guarantee, that's coming up, is that picture, and we get, uh, in essence, the, the, the basic uh, analogy would be a wedding ring. For those of you ladies, when you were given uh, an engagement ring or a wedding ring, it's the seal of a promise, amen? And especially the engagement ring, the engagement ring is given to you. You're not married yet, are you? It's the promise you're going to be married. And see, for us, as we look at these things, God gives us the Holy Spirit and he says, you're going to have some new things at work in your life that you can't take credit for. The Holy Spirit is going to be working in you, and you're going to be convicted of sin and of righteousness. You're going to be given gifts that you'll be able to use for my glory. You're going to have victory over sin. There's going to be forgiveness and peace in your life. These things are not normal things to you. And because you have them, this is my guarantee. This is my seal. This is my down payment. This is my earnest money. This is me marking the log of your life. This is saying with my wax signet ring that your mind make no mistake i intend to finish the deal and our king's coming amen jesus is coming again we we have a bridegroom in heaven and a royal wedding party that has been working on the festivities for the marriage supper of the lamb for two thousand years and, and one day we're going to step out of time and into eternity and all of that preparation and all of those difficulties and problems and processes that we undertook on this, this earth are all of a sudden going to make sense. Because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to say, welcome to the marriage supper. The trial's over, the struggle's over. I gave you the signet ring. I gave you the the promise. I gave you that beautiful picture that I was coming. I made you a promise, and I kept it. Because I love you. That's the motivation for marriage. Amen is love. It's not a corporation. It's love. And so God says, I love you. 
And in the process of us being engaged, one day I'm going to finish all these works and I'm going to come back and claim my bride. He helps us understand that by sealing us with the Holy Spirit. You have been signed for, sealed, and one day you're going to be delivered into the, into the hands of a God who loves us. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we are just so grateful. Lord, I'm so grateful for your love for us, that you, you look past our, our roughness and our edges and, God, the bark that's so thick at times. You look past the flaws in our fabric and the busted buttons. God, you, you overlook the, the blemish on our apples. God, you, you're so kind to us. And that your love is undying. And I pray that your people this morning would just fall as in love with you as you are with us. God, that we'd get it, that we'd understand it. That that love that you showered on us, rained on us, overwhelmed us with, would be present in every moment of our lives. And Lord, we look forward to that day when you blow that trumpet. And if we're alive and here, we'll rise to meet you in the air. We look forward to that day that we will greet you at the marriage supper of the Lamb, only to return with you to this earth to spend a thousand years ruling and reigning with our bridegroom. We love you, we bless you, we praise you, and we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Just stand and let's... Sing a love song to our King. Amen.